that's my best Halloween costume. I will tell you my worst, and this is absolutely horrifying. I got it in my head when I was in eighth grade that I thought it would be hilarious to go as a process server. And boy, I, when you started saying that, I thought you were gonna say prostitute, and I thought, <laughs> wow, <laughs> a process server. Recorded in our Nerd Haven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Mack. Discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Doc? What, Nina? It's that time of year again. It's spooky season. It is. It's very spooky. It is indeed. We are not talking about vampires this time. We are talking about another type of spooky creature that lurks in the dark. We are talking about werewolves. Werewolves. Yes. I. Uh, one thing I learned from Warren Zevon is that their hair is perfect. That I know. Uh, I might know a couple other things about medieval werewolves, but that I know about modern werewolves, their hair is perfect. This is news to me because I didn't realize that werewolves were in fact medieval, but that makes sense because were, mm -hmm. like as in were guild mm -hmm. and uh, wolves. But what what is the origin of werewolves? Well, werewolves are, are pretty old. I mean, they, they the idea of werewolves is from antiquity, really. And you even have some classical era stuff that sort of looks like werewolves. Uh, so there are even some people who, with the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is really, really old from antiquity, will compare him to a werewolf. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but even in antiquity and the classical era, there's plenty of werewolves. And so when we get into the modern era, or sorry, into the medieval era, werewolves continue and, and they take on different sorts of guises. Interesting. Like it, it wouldn't dawn on me that Anki Do would be a werewolf. I, I, I didn't realize they went back that far. I thought that the fascination with werewolves only went back maybe a couple of decades, at least from pop culture standpoint. Well, I don't know. No, I think it has to go back further than that because you have things like the werewolf and Wolfman, uh, mm -hmm. and in fact, the words the word werewolf um, comes from the Old English, uh, where, uh, meaning man. And so like the man. where guild is, is man price and related words like virility, the weir, uh, in virility and virile, uh, those are words for man. Uh, so there's a connection between, between men being close to wolves and vice versa. I would argue that even in, in certain kinds of folklore, they're not act literally men who change into wolves, but like the big bad wolf. Mm-hmm you know, Germanic folklore, I think is a very close cousin of the werewolf. This idea that there's a close connected tissue between certain kinds of men and wolves. So why wolves though? Well, I think wolves, because they are important to those cultures. You know, there are other shape changers in, in many different cultures, but the shape changers, they don't always change into the same kinds of shapes. Uh, wolves are connected simultaneously with dangerous animals, but unlike boars, for example, in Europe, which are dangerous in that they'll just straight up attack you, wolves are a little more cunning. They might hunt in packs. Mm -hmm. There's a sense that they are this part of civilization that's close to us. I think the other thing about wolves is that they're almost dogs. Mm -hmm. And so they're already almost part of civilization. They're pretty close to, to what we would think of as civilized, but they're just on the other side of that. 
And so it's easy to associate ourselves with them in that in that way. And also since they move in packs, they're also organized, you know, maybe not incredibly high levels of organization, but enough so that we can see ourselves in them. So what cultures have these type of changelings in them? Okay, so there are these kinds of changelings in cultures all around the world. Actually, changelings something a little different. I'll just call them shape changers. Shape changers then, yeah. So in medieval culture, the Northern Germanic, the sagas have a lot of these figures. And they change their shape, not by getting bitten or by a full moon or something like that. But instead, they change their shape by literally putting on the skins of a wolf. Uh, in most cases. So one of the more famous ones is Saga of the Volsungs. And in Saga of the Volsungs, there's a scene where uh, Sigmund and his brothers are like in this giant stocks and every night a wolf will come and eat one of them. And the wolf is King Sigurd's mother whose shape changed into wolf form and she'll eat one. And in this both wonderfully heroic and utterly disgusting uh, scene, which is the best kind in, in sagas, in order to save him, uh, they smear honey all in his, all over his face and in his mouth so that when the she-wolf finally comes for him, she starts licking the honey off. And when the, the tongue of the wolf goes into his mouth, he bites onto the tongue and tears it out of the wolf's head oh. and then and thus kills her. But it's very shortly later there on that he and his son slash nephew it's one of these uh incestuous uh uh pairings <laughs> often in these stories yeah uh, sinfo they find skins that they can put on and become wolves and they sort of are like wolves and bandits out in the countryside until finally they become so wolfish that they can't take off the skins and they're th- in danger of becoming full-time wolves, I guess. Eventually they're able to take them off and so so they burn them. So and and there's often a connection between this kind of shape changers and the berserkers in uh Viking cultures. Now more often in that culture it's not a wolf, more often it's maybe not more often, but very often it's a bear. Probably the most famous example of that is a character called Bjorn uh from the saga of Hrolf Kraki. And if his name sounds like Bayorn from The Hobbit, the shape-shifting bear, there is no coincidence there. Uh, this is where Tolkien gets the idea. And oh. an evil queen transforms him into a bear. But interestingly enough, she does this by striking him with wolf skin gloves, not bear skin gloves. So there is weirdly in that one a kind of echo of uh, the wolf. You know, other cultures have other kinds of skin changers. So for example, uh, Navajo have skin changers. They tend to be coyotes, but you can sort of already see, like if you're Navajo, a coyote is, is pretty close to a wolf, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In far in Eastern culture, really Japanese, uh, Chinese and Korean culture, it tends not to be wolves that, but it does tend to be a dog like animal, the fox. And so there is a cat, uh, not a cat, a, a fox with nine tails that often will transform into a seductive woman, uh, an evil seductive woman. Um, sometimes it's a, a, a fox spirit rather than a human who's transforming. There is, by the way, a 1994 film. It's not that great, uh, but a Korean film called Gumiho. I think it might be under the English title of Fox with Nine Tails. Uh, that's a horror film set in the modern era about this. Uh, like I said, it's not that great, but it is, it's the film, the first kind of big budget Korean film that, that had a chance of... Uh, 
of uh, making it in the uh, the wider world. And there's others like um, in pre-Columbian America, uh, in the you know Mesoamerica, there are these Nahuales. Uh, a Nahual can change into a variety of animals, and one of them's wolves. They also change into dra- jaguars, alligators. Uh, all sorts of animals. So they're not specifically wolf changers. And they are almost always evil in the folklore. But I have to say, about 15 years ago, I was in Guatemala in the highlands, and I met a man who claimed that his grandmother had been a Nahual. Mm-hmm. And he seemed pretty proud of it. He did, It wasn't a, my grandma was well. an evil creature, but my grandma was this, this other thing. Um, so if they're not evil, are they dispensing wisdom? Are they, what's the onus behind becoming one of these shape changers? Well, so among the Nahualais, it's a way of sort of going sometimes into the underworld to get yeah. wisdom. Um, it's a kind of shamanistic thing in some cases. And then it's closely associated with, with martial violence in the Norse culture, but if you're looking at Arthurian romances, for example, Arthurian romances, they're almost always kind of victims or even the good guys. Like two very famous stories. Uh, one is called The Bisclavret uh, by Marie de France and uh, Melion, where there's a kind of cheating wife who her husband is a shape changer. And in that case, instead of putting on the wolf clothes, he's got to put his, his regular human clothes back on. And he will turn into a wolf uh, in, I think, Melion. He does this for her uh, in Bisclavret. He just does it secretly and she finds out about it. And because she wants to run off with someone else, uh, she steals his clothes and he gets stuck in that form. And then eventually, after a series of adventures, he's able to, to become a knight again. In that case, the women are the wicked ones. There's also a Arthurian legend, Arthurian Gorlagon. Uh, uh, again, the same sort of thing. She turns her husband to a wolf, but that one, he's not already a werewolf exactly. He kind of is, but there's a kind of incantation she has to do. Mm-hmm. And she's supposed to ha- say, he, you need have the body of a wolf and the mind of a wolf. And she messes it up and says the body of a wolf and the mind of a man. Uh, but that's kind of actually what those in romance is what they are. They tend to be in the body of a wolf, but the mind of a man. Whereas in the, in, in a lot of the other ones, the savagery is sort of, more broadly there and right and there they're mostly victims now the werewolf you're supposed to feel sorry for we do see even more of that uh in history topography of ireland for example uh there's a couple of catholic werewolves there where the pre like one of the there's a, a couple uh male and female and the male werewolf is dying and so the wolf goes and tries to get this priest to do last rites over the dying other dying wolf and the priest is like ah, i don't know if i can do this i'm afraid and she takes off her skin and there's a sense in which she's cursed yet somehow can show herself she takes off her skin to say no no i'm really human and there's a kind of back and forth until he decides yes it's theologically okay to give last rites to a faithful catholic werewolf because they are in some ways human uh (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean sometimes they're just victims and i think even in our modern werewolves in pop culture we see uh werewolves as these ravening beasts and also as victims or sometimes as people who are victimized in into becoming ravening beasts there's more sympathy for them than say vampires yes yeah 
Well, okay. in the in, back in back in the old traditional days. Yes, traditional traditional yes. vampires. Yep. Pre pre twilight. Exactly. We we are. Yeah. I eagerly await the coming of the sparkling werewolf. Uh, <laughs> it ha- it has not. They were in twilight. Oh, did they sparkle well, in twilight? Of. They they didn't sparkle, but they were definitely a sympathetic brood. Yes, yeah, and I think in, in Look, I I sat through all those movies <laughs> by choice. Yeah, uh, I sat through. I, I have to confess, I my first encounter with the Twilight movie was the riff tracks uh, of the first Twilight movie, <laughs> and I believe that is the only Twilight movie I have seen. So I, I I watched them with the riff tracks too, but I I also I told myself I said, look, I, I if I'm going to make fun of these movies. I'm going to have to sit through them to make sure they're worthy of being made fun of. And they were. Well, I'm, I'm not going to derail this podcast, but anyway. <laughs> um, speaking of vampires. Okay, so with vampires, we know there are traditional rules. Yes. You know, you're bitten by one and you degrade and then you become one. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, you're allergic to garlic and you're afraid of crosses. You sleep in a coffin. You can't go out in the sunlight. But you also can trace yourself back to one original vampire. Say that's that's Vlad the Impaler, who, you know, Count Dracula, if you want to go by um, Bram Stoker's rules. With werewolves, that's a little bit muddier, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... You don't really know who the original werewolf was. No, and I don't think there is... Like, even in the ones with the Catholic werewolves who get in Ireland, we're told that they're cursed, but there's no reason why. Uh, or any of that. Often we see the curse mm-hmm. in the in the French romances. We see the curses are by evil people. Like they're turned mm-hmm. into this by someone evil. And that evil person is themselves not a werewolf. Um, right. So I think not just culture to culture, but in all of these, there isn't a clear sense of that there is an origin of it. Like where do these men, like if I put on a, a wolf skin, will I become a a werewolf you know i don't think this i think it's the skins themselves so where did the magical wolf skins come from uh in say the saga uh not ralph cocky but in uh the saga of the volsungs mm-hmm. none of that is is clear it's just a this is a thing which exists in the world and i guess it's like asking where the first wolf came from uh werewolves are just these things that are going to be out there. And I think in part of it has to do with, I mean, this is certainly not a unique idea, uh, but that we understand that civilization is tenuous, no matter how, how close we get to uh, how deep we get into the life of cities. We always Mm -hmm. know that nature can uh, intrude on us and that we have a natural, we have natural urges uh, that we need. Uh, we need the natural urges, but we can't let them completely loose. And so werewolves help right. get at that. Well, that leads to uh, my last two questions. First, like, what do werewolves represent in pop culture? And you touched on one of my hypotheses. Uh, one, the obvious change from savagery to refinement. Mm-hmm. For example, in American Werewolf in London, you've got this American showing up in London who becomes this savage the second is the fear that humankind isn't that far removed from its untamed roots and we see that in um like heart of darkness one of my favorite books and i I can see that uh, you know no werewolves but the idea of um how we really aren't as civilized as we like to pretend that we are i think there's a lot of value in what you 
had to say just then. Well, I think and even in the title American Werewolf in London, it's not just Werewolf mm-hmm. in London. Uh, he's an American werewolf. And there is, uh, Americans sometimes forget that there is a sense that uh, among uh, the, the English that Americans are a little bit savage. There's something savage oh, about yeah. us. And so uh, the American in London is in some ways like a ravening wolf uh, mm-hmm. where he shouldn't be in the civilized world. Yeah. And then second of all, why werewolf interest in the last 40 years? Like I would say the peak interest in werewolves has been in the last 40 years. You see more movies about werewolves, more comic books, more literature in the last 40 years or so than you would say in the last hundred. Um, with the exception being, of course, the Lon Chaney movie, The Wolfman. Unlike vampires, which have been around and just kind of seem to grow in popularity. My theory is that wolves, werewolves just aren't sexy like vampires are. And vampires being um, a very Victorian exploration of sex. Like you can't, you, you couldn't really talk about sex in the same frankness that you could today. And vampires were a way of kind of exploring that. But werewolves, there's really nothing sexy about that. I mean, unless you want to discuss, you know, the change from childhood to adulthood. But there's, again, that's that's not a sexy change at <laughs> all. It is what it is. But uh, I don't know. Why, why don't we see a lot of, uh, why haven't we seen a lot of literature and, and media in our pop culture like we have vampires? Well, I think... One of the things that's happened is, so vampires, even in in Dracula, for example, uh, Dracula is a foreigner. uh, And part of it is this fear of the foreign, uh, this fear of, some of it's fear of disease, uh, but also it's this sort of foreign thing coming into our world in London, civilized London, the great city uh, at the Mm -hmm. time. I think we find ourselves, since the end of the Cold War, really less worried about foreigners. I mean, people talk about xenophobia, but the truth is, if you listen to your great-grandparents talk, uh, you, you hear, uh, in their censored talk today, you hear that, that xenophobia really has faded a great deal. So what are the threats that we worry about? Well, it's the natural world. It's fear of asteroids it's the fear of disease it's the fear of the climate changing it's the fear of that the natural world is going to come back and get us you know it depends on the where the, how the story is told if the werewolf story is told from the perspective of the victim it's the natural world coming after us uh just mm-hmm. this mindless ravening beast that that we can't uh, resist or if it's told from the perspective of the werewolf it's what is this doing to me what is living in the civilized world you know doing to me so for example uh, fight club is about six inches away from being a werewolf story uh, where it has to the threat to me is is either civilization killing the natural version of me or the natural world destroying the civilized version of me. And werewolves, depending on how the story is told, can be on either side of that. Interesting. Well, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Well, do we want to get into some recommendations? Sure. What are your recommendations? Right. I've got three, and they are all uh, movies. And I want to talk about them in backwards order. Okay. Descending order. Uh, they are the top werewolf movies with the best werewolf transformations. 
Number three, of course, is American Werewolf in London, Mm -hmm. which uh, for its time had the best special effects for a werewolf transformation, directed by John Landis, who you know from Thriller, directed the music video Thriller. Great costuming, great eerie, scary, nasty, gross werewolf special effects. The movie, not uh, and also And also very funny. Uh, yes, it was. It is hilarious yes, too. It's scary and funny at the same time. Number two is the Company of Wolves, a little known movie. Well, I mention this to people. I say, if you like werewolf movies, have you seen the Company of Wolves? And people are like, I've never heard of that movie. And I, I make this this motion, and, and people are like, No, I, what let, are you doing? Let the record like, show. Really? She's pulling her mouth apart with her hands. <laughs> yeah, like you see the cover art for this movie, yes. and it's it's a very painful transformation, very eighties. I worked at Chapman Video. Uh, when this movie was out, that box cover was one of my favorite ones on that on that yeah. uh, VHS box, and it's a like the muzzle of a wolf coming out of someone's mouth as yeah, as it's kind of bursting forth from them. Yes, it's really really creepy. And then number one is Hear Me Out. It's a vampire movie, but it the the werewolf transformation is really creepy. Uh, what we do in the shadows, which again hilarious vampire mockumentary style film. Uh, the show is good too, but I, you know, the original movie is a must see. The werewolves, which are werewolves, not swearwolves. Uh, <laughs> you're not expecting this to be terrifying, but near the end, there the werewolves transform from human into werewolves, and it is absolutely terrifying. I was not expecting to be horrified at this ostensibly comedy movie. At one point, they like attack the camera. Because it's all done in documentary style filmmaking, and then they just jump at the camera, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" And I don't, I don't scare very easily at these movies, and it was horrifying. So that that's my order: these three movies: American Werewolf in London, The Company of Wolves, and What We Do in the Shadows. Three really good horror films to watch this Halloween. Yeah, you know, actually listening to you describe those, it makes me think about how when I start thinking about other werewolf movies and particular scenes that that I've I've liked, very often they combine great, like really, really funny scenes uh, mm-hmm. with really, really violent uh, scenes mm. in ways that I don't think we see. I mean, we do have funny vampire movies and we have violent vampire movies and uh, that kind of thing, scary ones, but I don't, I can't explain why it is, but there seems to be a, a more natural affinity, pardon the potential pun there, between <laughs> between the horror and the and the humor in these werewolf movies. Yeah. I want to recommend a short story. Uh, it is by Marie de France. I mentioned it before. It's called The Bisclavret. I kind of already told you what uh, it was going to be about. Uh, it is about a knight who is a werewolf, and he is betrayed by his wife, and things happen after that. And we will have a PDF to a translation of that available in our show notes. See, I have to do the fancy pants recommendation. <laughs> And I do the pop culture stuff. That's yeah. that's what we do. All right. Well, are you going to dress up as anything this uh, Halloween, Nina? We're still under quarantine. So if I do any dressing up, it'll be around the house and it'll likely be in my bathrobe. So probably not. All right. There we um, go. I, I, will, I will go as a very tired, quarantined person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. My neighborhood usually gets slammed by trick-or-treaters. I usually give out around 300 pieces of candy to two children yeah and we're not talking like individual little pieces i mean we're talking a lot of candy and they still keep coming i don't know whether the city's going to allow it this year or not uh but even if they do 
you know, it's a good question as to who's going to come and who's not going to come. Uh, I think some children will not be, will not be detoured no matter what. I certainly wouldn't be uh, when I was a child. So, Do you think you'll get any werewolves? I think I might. Uh, I tend, given that I live in the South now, I tend to get a lot of football players. <laughs> the lowest effort <laughs> costume ever, which is take yeah. the jersey, put it on, and say, look, I'm a football player. A lot of Bear Bryants? Uh, no, because that would take owning the hat. Oh, man. That's true. So we rarely just, get him. You take a kid, a hat on them, and say, this kid is Bear Bryant, and send him on his way. I'm hoping to have trick-or-treaters this year, but... You know, the truth is I'm so, I'm really triple booked already for Halloween evening. I don't even know if I'll be home. So I guess we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> there you go. Well, stay safe. Yeah. West through hall, Nina. West through hall, Doc. Awoo! Pop and Evil was recorded under a studio. The hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening. We can make a zero-budget movie. <laughs> That's true. We could make... We, we I mean, have we the can money barely to make a podcast. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we have the money to make a zero-budget movie. That we can afford. <laughs> We've got a zero-budget podcast. We can make a zero-budget movie for, I'm sure. <laughs> zero-budget is my favorite budget. We can do this. I mean, come on. <laughs> my budget plus your budget combined. <laughs> <laughs>